Thank you. Great. So then, uh, we're looking today into God's Word from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be thinking particularly about verse 13. And uh, uh, we'll uh, read it in a moment. Perhaps before we do read verse 13, let's read the first few verses just to remind ourselves of where we've been. We've been uh, looking at these uh, really important statements that Jesus makes from uh, this message he preached on a mountainside. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with these amazing eight statements, um, uh, or nine, depending on how you count them. Beginning in verse 2, he began to teach them, his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we want to thank you for this reminder of what matters most as as Jesus spells out what it means to be blessed by you. Thank you for the privilege that we have of being blessed, of knowing you in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us, that you would help us to know you better as we look at your word together today. And then as we want to live that out, Uh, wherever we are in the coming week. So help us as we look at it, Lord. Speak to us, we ask you. Just make Jesus clear to us and just amazing in our eyes that we may be just uh, full of him and what it means to live with him and for him. In his name we pray. Amen. So there we are. We've had these eight statements or so. What it looks like to be blessed. And uh, the, uh, the, the clicker is not blessed at the moment. It's not working at all. Oh, there we go. What it means to be blessed. What it looks like when you are blessed. It's not about how to be blessed. It's not how to get God into your life. It's not kind of the, the way in necessarily. It's not what it, you know, you've got to do all this stuff to, to get God's blessing. No, it's actually about what people who, who know God, what people who've, who've been touched by God, those people who are living under the, 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 the kind of kingship of Jesus, what they look like, what their lives are going to be like. They've come to know God, as, as we have, many of us would say. And no, we've come to know him through Jesus. This is the road that we're now on. This road of being blessed 
in this way. And Jesus gives these, these eight different kind of identity markers. You know, when they do DNA tests, they talk about, I believe it's only what I watch on crime shows, but you know, mar- you know markers that, that kind of highlight uh, different, different aspects. And, and Jesus is kind of saying, look, this is the, here are eight markers of, of, of what's in the true DNA of a believer. The, the, these, be, these being blessed, um, the, these kind of aspects of character that we see. And he's talking to the, the disciples, but, but it's more than just the 12. They haven't been chosen yet. It, it's a whole crowd of people who've kind of opted in to more teaching from Jesus as they've you know, taken the trouble to go up the mountainside with him and get away from the mass of crowds. Still probably a big crowd, but they're, they're, they're wanting to, to find out more. And we have these markers then. Poor in spirit, people who come empty and go on that way, empty, nothing to, to contribute. So he fills us. People who are meek, who know they've got nothing to prove because they're going to inherit everything from God. People who, who mourn for what's wrong in, in them and in the world. People who are desperate, desperate for righteousness in themselves and in the world around them. People who have, have become merciful because they've received mercy from God. And will receive it again. People who are pure in heart. That means they're, they're genuine from the inside out. There's, there's, there's not hypocrisy here. People who are peacemakers. People who are persecuted. And then as we saw last week, it all starts getting much more personal. He says, it's for you, he says. We noticed that last week in that next verse 11. Blessed are you. It's not they. It's not this is it. But it's you. It's you. It's you. And Jesus is saying, this is for you. Disciples like, live like this and you are those disciples, he says. We are, I am. And these disciples, we face the pressure. Jesus is saying, this life I'm telling you about, this blessed life is for living in a real world. A, a real place. It flows out of knowing Jesus. Jesus says, you are persecuted because of me. He is close to us. He, it's all about him as we saw last week. And listen to the uh, online if you, if you missed it. And a lot of the rest of the Sermon of the Mount is, is all about that. Loving and following and living with and for a real Jesus in a real world. A world where people might hit you on one side of the face. A, a, a world where people, a Roman soldier at the time might want to take your jacket. Uh, a, a place where you know, you're, you're tempted to, to lust or, or to, to lose it or, or all that kind of stuff. This kind of world that is, is unpacked in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, guys, disciples... This is where we are. This is where we live. These are the things that we face. It's personal. It's for you. And then Jesus says this really surprising thing. I think it's surprising. It's in verse uh, 13. See if you think it's surprising. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its uh, flavor, its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so on. We're thinking of verse 13 today. What's surprising about that? Well, I I tell you what, I think it's surprising. Because Jesus is saying, these people I've been talking about, 
These people described in this list of characteristics and, uh, and being blessed by God and so on, these people are going to be making a, a tremendous impact on all the people around them. They're going to be influencers. They're going to be people who change the world. Like light and salt do. If you're in the darkness, you turn the light on, something happens. You know there's something going on. If you put salt in something, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an effect. Now, that's what is surprising is that this is such a big vision, isn't it? Jesus has this, this really big vision for these disciples. These disciples are going to make this kind of impact. Now, think for a moment or two. Who are the kinds of people who, who, make, you know, who are like shapers and changers and you know, influencing people? I don't know. I just happen to catch. I don't watch. I, I, I don't get the last five minutes of... Um, What's that? Bro? Pointless. That's right. What's that? Pointless. Then, with you, you watched it on. I think it was Friday before the news. Um, they, one of the questions was: um, uh, they, the people had to name uh, one of the ten uh, on the on the the list. What's that? Forbes list is it of most powerful women in the world? And the contestants had to, you know, choose some. Who goes on those kind of lists? Hillary Clinton. Can't remember any of the others, but she was on there. That's one they remembered. It wasn't enough. They didn't get the prize. Anyway, you know what I mean. But you say, who's on the, who, who gets onto the, the front cover of magazines as, as the most influential uh, shapers and changers of society that there are? Well, it's not people like the meek, the poor in spirit, those who are hungry for righteousness, those who are merciful. They aren't generally the kind of people that get onto the pages of those magazines, are they? But Jesus says, I know my vision for my people is that they're going to make a tremendous impact on the world around. It's what he's expecting. It's what he's promising them. And it's going to be very different. It's very countercultural. It's the opposite way to the way the world seems to, to work. John Stott wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible Speaks Today series. One of the first ones. And in the old days, they used to call, they have a title, not Matthew, the Bible Speaks Today. And his, his uh, title for that was Christian Counterculture. That was how he summarized this Sermon on the Mount. It's the opposite way. And yet it's what Jesus promises. Look at that picture. What is it? See what that is? Can you see? It's a thermometer. Okay. Uh, and look at this one. You know what that is? Thermostat. Okay. The thermometer tells you what's going on around, isn't it? Tells you what the temperature is. The thermostat changes it. Turn, if I went up there, turn the thermostat up, get warmer. Here's the thing. Jesus wants us to be, as believers, not thermometers that just show what everything else is like, but actually thermostats that change things. probably heard it before, but I think it's uh, worth saying again. Now that's surprising, isn't it? Again, you might think, well, me? <laughs> You really think, and how, how's, how's that going to work then? I'm not one of the kind of, uh, you know, people who are blessed in this, this uh, list here are not necessarily people who think that they're out there to go and change the world. 
are just following Jesus. But the thing is, it's what God wants us to be. It's the way he works. Now the Jewish people listening to Jesus at the time, when he talked about being blessed, that phrase, being blessed, would have taken them to a very key moment in their history. In fact, the very beginning of the Jewish people's history, back in Genesis 12, God shows up and introduces himself to a man called Abraham. And he says there in Genesis 12 that he is going to bless him. He's going to come into his life. He's going to get to know Abraham. Uh, He says, I'm going to bless you. And more than that, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, says God to Abraham. And all those people who heard about what the blessed and blessed would, would, would have remembered that, or would have heard that, and would have thought, oh, that's interesting. God's heart to bless the world through those he blesses. That's what God wants. And it's as if Jesus is saying to these people around him, look, you're back in the stream. This is exactly what God said he would do to Abraham. It's always been his vision. It's always been his purpose to bless people so that they will be a blessing, so that people will be blessed through them. And God says, I'm going to do that. He doesn't actually say to Abraham, now go and, go and bless everyone. He says, I'm going to bless the world through you. And I think that's important for us to realize that as we're going to talk about how can we possibly be a blessing, how are we going to be salt and light, that we realize that it's not that Jesus is saying, go out and, you know, make yourselves into salt and and light. He's saying, you are that. I'm going to do it with you, through you. People will be blessed through you. Salt for the earth, light for the world. It comes out of what we are. What he makes us. And I suppose the challenge is, can we get hold of that big vision for our lives, for our church? Believe that possibility. That's what he wants us to be. Not on the front page of time, necessarily, or whatever it is, the economist in this country, or the week, or whatever you read. Although if he puts you there, fine. But, but to be wherever we are, making that impact, because that's what he wants. That's what he will do. That is his purpose. Let's believe it. Let's look for it. Let's ask him to do that with your life, whatever's happening in it this week. We need uh, what we want to be, what you want to be, needs to be in line with what Jesus wants for you. What he wants and what we want us to be needs to be in line with what Jesus wants for us. And he wants us to be, he tells us we will be, salt for the earth and light for the world. It's not just some little bit of it. It's, it's, it's a big vision, isn't it? It's the earth. It's the world. So it's, I think it's quite scary, but it's also pretty exciting. Especially when you think he will do it. Now you may not think, that's possible. You may not think there's much going on. I was at a funeral this week. A few of us were there. Joan Howard, she was 92. Was she 92? I think that was right. Was she 92 when she died? 92-year-old lady. And at the funeral, um, it actually said, I think it said in the, in the tribute in the front of her kind of order of service, or possibly the, the minister leading it said, Joan was one who didn't really think that she'd you know, done much or you know, she didn't really expect much to happen through her. But people were saying a lot did. 
And uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I was there and, and I got, got into the little chapel there in, in Stoneham Cemetery and, and I was just about on time. And I sat by uh, a lady that I knew from Warwick. And uh, I said, oh, hi, Jill. You know, well, afterwards I said, because the service began, I said, hi, Jill. How, how, you know. I said, did you know Joan? And she said, yeah. She said, um, she, our, our family, we lived opposite her when I was a girl. And she said, Joan, uh, they used to pray for all the people in the road. And Jill said to me, and she, she's older than me, um, she said, I was a girl then, and I was, I, I was the first one to become a Christian in the road from her prayers. Uh, and she said, um, she said, pretty much every household was touched in some way in answer to the prayers of Joan in the road. I thought, whoa. You know. And we just say, <laughs> there it was in the order of service. Joan didn't think she did much. See, God does things. It's possible. We may not think that. So here's the first thing. Jesus has this big vision of a big impact. And let's get in line with that. Well, let's think now a little bit more now about the kind of impact we make. Now, Jesus tells us that we're to be like salt. What on earth did he mean by that then? Now, at the time, we need to get into what it meant at the time key point in any Bible understanding is try and figure out what it meant to the people who first heard it and then you know that's the first step what it to then go on to what it might mean to us so what would it mean to them salt was really crucial in those days very very important and it was used for three things there they are it first of all stopped things going bad so meat and stuff like that would be kind of rubbed in salt to stop them kind of going off so quickly. Second thing it did was it added flavor, a bit like today. I know it's not fashionable, but you're not supposed to have salt, but I'm with the TV cooks, you know, seasoning, seasoning, you know, to help you taste your food. Uh, Don't follow that because the doctors say you shouldn't, but anyway, I'm just telling you my personal, in my life, uh, as my, uh, and hopefully the statins I take will be counteracting that (laughs) as well. (laughs) <laughs> so any, anyway, um, salt brings out the flavor, okay? That's a key thing. And third thing, salt at the time was kind of used as, I, I say healing, it's more like um, antiseptic. It would be used for treating, sometimes treating wounds, which would be painful, hence the phrase rubbing salt in the wounds, but would ultimately, I believe, do you good. I looked around for medical verification of that. Um, I, but, you know, you go to the dentist, I had a tooth out, and the, the dentist said, you know, what would be helpful if you just keep, you know, keep swilling your mouth out with salt or water, that will help it to recover quickly, um, which it did. Well, even though I didn't actually do that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so Jesus says his disciples are to be like that for the earth, for the world. Now, this tells us something about the way Jesus sees the world, doesn't it? And we need to get this. The world has a tendency to go bad. Like a piece of meat in first century Palestine, Jesus is saying, if you do nothing to preserve it, there's going to be trouble. It's amazing. You don't need to do anything to help something go off, do you? Just leave it there. 
You've seen, you know, you, 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 the power goes off in the fridge, you know, a couple of weeks, I open the door, oh, that's, that's, what happened there? I didn't do anything. All by itself, all this mold grew all over everything. Fifty years ago, the idea that the world needed preserving, that the world was going bad, would have been outrageous. I was reading a commentary on this passage by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, preaching probably about, yeah, over 50 years ago now, talking about how at the time everyone was saying, the human race is making great progress. Soon there will be no more wars. Soon our technology will solve everything. We're becoming educated and rational, and we can have conferences, and we'll never have to go to war again. Everything's going fine. And that was kind of evolution was the view in terms of... uh, creation and development the development of life and the same idea was used to human progress and so on does anyone believe that now in that sense i think the 20th century sadly tragically horrendously has put paid to that and the 21st century doesn't look too good either you know as we hear of horrendous the kind of things that attila the hun did and you know are being done curiously in the same part of the world right today in 2014 Jesus is saying there's a tendency for the world to go bad and he's saying that Christians are one way that bad stuff in the world can be slowed down a bit that's what he's saying more than that like salt we can add something just because we're there why is that then how is it that we could provide a kind of unique and a special flavor just by being there how does that happen why is that well it's because if we go back into the beatitudes actually especially that one about being persecuted blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and so on what's that phrase at the end of that verse because of me jesus says that's where it comes from because of jesus because our life is with him and he's in us and so where we are he is and so that kind of stops some of the rot happening, perhaps as quickly as it might. Or it brings um, the flavor that people need so much. He's there. He's working through us and in us. And so, so don't lose sight of what you can do or the impact that Jesus can have just because you're there. Just because you're there. So think to yourself... Where is that? Where is that place for you where you're there and you know that he's there and you're going to say, I want to be here to stop the rot, to make life taste a bit better? Isn't that, wouldn't that be a great, you know, Christians making life taste better? You know, it sounds like a, a kind of campaign, but you know, that, that is a little bit of what Jesus is saying here. And we want to be people, don't we, who, who will be missed for that if we weren't here. You know, if you never went back to where you work, or you never went back to your home, or you moved out of your neighborhood, or if this church closed down, and, and Victory cl- closed down, and Highfield closed down, and, and the other churches just disappeared from the city, you want people to miss us, wouldn't you? To know that we weren't here. Not because, oh, where are all those nice people gone? No, no, but but something more than that. No, there there was something from God about them. We didn't know it before, but but there's something that would be missing. Now, there's a sense in which that is happening. 
And you sometimes see it. And it's a privilege and we give glory to God for that. But let's keep that vision of the kind of impact we make. Like salt. Slowing down the rot. Making life taste better. Bringing help like antiseptic into a wound. Where are you doing that? Or where are you living with that kind of possibility? Where am I? That's the kind of impact we can make. Third thing, finally, how's it going to work then? How do we make this impact? Well, Jesus tells us how it works. He partly tells us by this saying about um, what happens if salt loses its flavor. He says, I think we've got to get new batteries for this, haven't we, I think? Or something, maybe I'm pressing the right. I don't think I'm pressing the right. For it to work, it has to be different. That's saying, if salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. Now, now, where does that come from? Well, at the time, um, uh, some of the experts tell us that you, know, you got salt in, in Palestine anyway from places that were salty. So, you know, people, I suppose, would, uh, would get salt from the Dead Sea. Not, you know, by getting a load of from the Dead Sea, boiling it, and then whatever, condensing it and getting salt. No, they, they go by the seashore, and where the, sea gar- you know, where the, the water level had gone down or up or whatever, there'd be, you know, salty stuff around the side of the, of the lake where the water had been in it, or they'd dig it up from the bottom and where it had been impregnated with the salt. And that, that was where salt came from. But of course, uh, it wasn't pure, unadulterated salt. It was, it was kind of like Google, Google Plus. It was salt plus <laughs> quite a lot of other stuff. You know, sand and bits of minerals and, and whatnot. Uh, and if, if in Palestine you left your salt somewhere, either it would degrade or possibly, you know, in the rainy season, if it was outside, it got wet, then the, the actual salt could dissolve out of that stuff that you had and it would be tasteless and useless. In fact, all it would be good for is really putting on the path, you know, if it was the rainy season, then you might need some path, some, something to, you know, soak up the mud or whatever. See the point, though, don't you? Salt is no good if it's not different from what it's trying to influence. So what kind of difference is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? Now, again, there's a little clue from the fact that um, uh, the Jewish rabbis at the time, and we know this for other writing, we also know it from the language, actually, they use salt as a symbol of wisdom, It was an adjective, rather like, you know, we say of someone, um, you know, uh, he's sharp. Well, in, you know, meaning that they're they're wise, they're clever, they know what they're about. Um, In Aramaic, the language uh, Jesus spoke, and and at the time, they would use, you know, she's salty in the same way. Someone was wise, knew their stuff idea of wisdom in fact in the language jesus spoke that phrase losing its flavor losing its taste losing its saltiness actually could mean becoming stupid becoming foolish it could actually mean because so, the the idiom was kind of built into the way the language worked i don't i so I've, I've i'm told by people who know these things so have a look then at colossians 4 could you because uh, we need to just get a little bit of other rest of the new testament on this Colossians chapter 4, it's on page 1184. You might want to keep a a finger in Matthew 5 if you like. And look at what it says in verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So it's talking there, isn't it, about being wise in the way we live with people, in the way we act towards those who it's described here as outsiders, those who are not believers. Notice the assumption is that as believers, we're not meant to be just existing in some huddle where all the only people we behave towards are insiders. Not at all. Paul is saying, you know, you're going to be out there with people, so you need to behave, live. The way you live should be wise, he says. Now, what kind of wisdom is that? Now, again, wisdom is a Bible word. In the Bible, it doesn't mean just knowing stuff. It's, it, 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 it's actually mostly about it's what you do with what you know. It's how you use what you know. That's what wisdom is. If you look, look at there were whole books of the Old Testament dedicated to the subject. The book of Proverbs, uh, book of uh, Ecclesiastes. They're called the wisdom literature because in it is this idea of how you should live, how you should be. So that's uh, wisdom. It's not just about knowing stuff. If you could just bear with me, I want you to please keep one finger. Now you've got, you might have to, yeah, you've got enough fingers. So move on to James um, chapter 3. And that, I'll tell you, is on page 1215. Because this is an interesting little passage which talks about wisdom. Okay. I think we're talking about being salty, the way we live. Paul says we need to be wise. What kind of wisdom is this? Well, who is wise in understanding among you? Verse 13. Let him show it by his good life. By it's done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or do not deny the, uh, sorry, or, or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice, it says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. See, James is talking about some of the things that can naturally drive us. Bitterness, (laughs) envy, selfish ambition. They can be very powerful drivers in life. We might not admit it, but they can be. They can be out there in the culture. But he talks about another way. He says there's another way for us to be living. And he talks about a wisdom that comes from heaven. A wisdom that comes from Jesus. And verses 17 to 18, there you are. I just read them. Did they remind you of anything? They look suspiciously like the Beatitudes, don't they? See there? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and so on. Jesus is saying this kind of way of living, this kind of life from God, this kind of uh, shaping of our behavior is one way in which we live lives that are salty, that are wise. So in the way we live. But just if you want to flip back to Colossians 4 again, and verse 6 there talks about our conversation. Our conversation needs to be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Grace is about God's generosity. And, and Paul says, we must be like God in the way we talk to people, full of grace, 
willing to spend time with people, taking time to listen to them. This idea about answering their questions seems to me to you know, imply that we know people well enough to know what kind of questions they have. Not that you know, they're sitting in the corner asking you, you know, like in the pub quiz, why is there evil in the world? Or you know, where did Adam come from? Or do you believe in... No, I, Paul, I think, is not, not... Put all that out of your mind. He's saying, as we live, as we're with people, as we spend time with them, we know what, what, what their questions are. What, what, what makes them think, oh, if only I knew about X, Y, or Z. That saltiness, that's being salty. And one of the great things about salt is it makes you thirsty. And, and Paul is saying, if we're going to be salty, we need to live lives. And, and, and in a way, we speak to people that creates questions. They, you know, that they just ask questions because they know you. Know me. There's one other thing I could say, but I'm not going to because of time. But you might like to look it up. In Mark 9, verse 50, not now, but maybe later, <laughs> Jesus tells us to have salt in us. It comes from within, again. And in that, in that phrase he, there, he also says, that, by the way, can be wrecked if you don't live at peace with each other. If you want your saltiness to be completely obliterated, then go around slagging off other Christians. You know, really hate people in the church or criticize them. Or that other church down the road that you don't, dis- you don't agree with, tell everyone that they're rubbish you know, t- and, and make sure all your non-Christian friends know about that. That way you'll lose all your saltiness completely. That's what Jesus says in Mark 9 verse 50. That salt is, 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 can be obliterated if we don't live at peace with one another. So the first big thing then, how does it work? Well, we have to be different. It has to be salty. Different lives in our conversation, the way we live. But the second thing, and it's so obvious, I don't really need to spend that much time on it. So good job because I'm not planning to and I don't have any. Second thing, it has to be mixed in, doesn't it? What is the good of the salt that remains in the pot in the cupboard? What good is that? That's, I suppose it's marginally better than salt that's lost its flavor. But in practical use, it's not much better, is it? I think, actually, I don't know whether you, but I, I think we've got two or three you know, pot, pots of salt in our cupboard that bought at different times. And I mean, sometimes it can be like that. And there's one right at the back there. Never comes out. Just there it is in the cupboard. Never mixes in. The salt comes out into the food. It's rubbed into the meat. It's no good having a saline drip if there's no salt in it, to use another. At least I believe so. Medical people can help us understand that if we need to. It only works if the salt is integrated with the stuff it's meant to be affecting. And that's true for us. We need to be different. We don't have to be the same as everyone else. Someone once said that the church actually attracts people when it stops trying to be like everyone else. It shows people more like what Jesus is like than what the world is like. But it can only do that. It can only attract people if it's connected to people. Otherwise, no one knows, do they? So here's the obvious question. For me, for you. Where am I mixing? Where am I going to mix? That's one question. But more than that, how do I get the mindset, the, the way of thinking 
to mix. You see, mixing in like salt, it's more than just being in the same place as people who don't know Jesus. There's a a mindset that says, I'm here, I want Jesus to be known here. I don't know how, but I'm going in, I'm aware that this is my calling. How can we help each other with that? Well, we can ask God, we need to make a decision to live that way. Um, just to be there in, in where we are, intentionally, Lord, I just want to be salty here. Not necessarily going to do anything specifically special. I'm not going to hold any evangelistic events. I'm not going to, you know, go out of my way to do. I, I tried this as an experiment once. So when I went into hospital, I was in hospital on a ward. I had an operation for. I was there for about seven or eight days. And at the beginning, I said, Lord, I'm not even going to tell anyone I'm a pastor. Um, I often try that to start witnessing, and it almost frequently fails completely. Nobody, you know, that, that's one sure way to stop anyone asking you about the Christian faith, usually, if you kind of let, let them know you're a pastor early on in the conversation. So I just said, I'm just going to be here. And that's what I did. And, and some truly amazing things happened. I, I, I've written about it in, in mag, the magazine and stuff. But, but it, it, it was, it, it's possible to do that. To go to work and say, Lord, I'm just here. I want to be here. I want you to work through me. don't know what's going to happen, but here I am. Or rather, here we are, because, Lord, you're in it with me. Maybe it's that. Show up. Be there in your head, in your heart. So as we finish, let's get hold of Jesus' vision for what we can be. Let's believe it. Let's live it. Let's trust him to work with that. Let's be salty in the way we behave with people. Let's see that the way our character kind of is and, and looks to the people we work with, the people that we live next door to, the people that know us best in our families, actually reflects the wisdom from God and is not driven by the, the way everything else is in the world around. The Holy Spirit working in us every day as we're just there and going with what he does. Let's be full of grace in our conversation with people. Let's get mixed in with our hearts not just our bodies, as it were. Don't just share the same space with people. <laughs> Be in it wherever we are. Now, here's a way of doing this, or maybe a way of helping us get going. And with this, I'm going to finish. There should be one picture. Yeah, there you are. Now, I've got quite a lot of these little salt sachets here. You'll find them at the door. Here's what you could do. You could take one, And next time you're going to salt your rice or put it on your dinner, or next time you're going to mix salt in, use this sachet, tear it off. I won't do that. And as you sprinkle it out, say out loud, pray out loud, Lord, I want you to use me where I am mixing in. Mix me in. I don't know where or how, but as I shake this salt in, I pray, Lord, that you'll make me like this salt that you've promised to be. That's one thing you could do. Another thing you could do, or you could do both if you like. So there are enough for two sachets. You could take one and you could be thinking and praying, where is it that I mix? Where am I mixing in in my life? Where's it going to be? And take the sachet to that place and put it there. I don't know. It's not good. You could stick it to something or you could, you know, somewhere in the place you're going to be different. Put it there. And then, and I have to confess, this isn't my idea. So if you think it's a brilliant one, it's actually Dan's idea. So thank you for this idea, Dan. Uh, when it's there, take a photo. And uh, a kind of salty selfie, if you like. <laughs> That's my idea. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and put it on 
put it on the uh, Facebook page. So that the rest of us then, if you're a member of the Portswood Facebook group, can pray for you. If it's there, I will definitely put those photos in the House of Prayer page. And people are in the House of Prayer secret group. And any of you can join it. There's about 20, 30 people in it now. 30 people about. Uh, We'll make sure on your days, because we pray all around the church directory, we'll pray for you in your place. Okay? But But the one thing you must not do is take a piece of, a packet of salt, and stick it in your Bible or somewhere secret or on your bedroom wall or something. That is not the idea. Okay? Let's be salty where we are with his help. So back to you.